I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to our uh latest episode of fangirl radio i am your host jessica dwyer and with me tonight is the lovely and talented rachel moore good evening and also with us tonight our special fanboy todd sheets yay yay Yay! So, um, tonight's episode is uh, extra special. I'm very excited. We are going to have on uh, two guests, um, Mark Scott Zickery, who, if you go look at this guy's IMDb page, you will see that he has written basically everything. Um, And uh, some of the best Star Trek episodes, uh, tons of cartoons... Um, and he also wrote The Twilight Zone Companion, um, which is an amazing book. Uh, it's super, super detailed. He interviewed everyone and their brother that had something to do with Twilight Zone with that. And also um, joining him is Mr. Doug Jones, one of our favorite guys around in the world. And um, the two of them are working together on a new project that is one of the most amazingly popular and successful um, Kickstarters ever. I th- I would say uh they had a goal of $75,000 they are now almost at $180,000 and it is for a project called Space Command which is a it's a trilogy of films uh that kind of harken back to really good old school st- sci-fi um like Space Patrol the uh Forbidden Planet you know Flash Gordon type of stuff gorgeous sets and and design and a really good well-written science fiction that has meaning and heart behind it. And they, they're they getting uh, people like Armin Shimmerman, Ethan Phillips, Amber Benson, uh, to, to name a few people that are going to be involved with this. And also Doug Jones um, is going to be a character in the show. And we're really excited about this. They're going to have a very big presence at Comic-Con. Uh, they're going to have a panel talking about it. And, um, I mean, they've had endorsements from Neil Gaiman and a ton of other people in the industry, known people in the sci-fi and fantasy genres that want this to happen. And the fact that they've, wow, they've had like 180 grand now donated to this is great. So It's, it's sci-fi for sci-fi lovers. I mean, it's everything that Hollywood isn't giving us right now. And I'm so stoked. Right, and that's part of the reason they're doing it. So we are very excited to help get the word out on this. And, and there's a, a bunch of different ways you can, uh, different amounts you can pledge. And also it, the the uh, pledges get you goodies and things, of course. And, and really every penny of this is going towards this uh, project. It's They're not pocketing any of it. It's going to the project itself. 
and uh, Mark has a lot of good friends who are very, very talented who are helping him who feel the same way that he is, that we're not getting the sci-fi that we want, and so we're just going to make it. So um, we are really stoked to have them on tonight. Uh, so, um, But first, we have to talk Week and Geek, and uh, there's two specific things I had. Um, Rachel, Todd, and I have all seen the new Spider-Man movie, and I, Todd had a different reaction than I did. And, <laughs> and no. So, <laughs> so did Rachel. Um, well, Rachel sort of uh, agrees with me on it, but Todd is the dissenter in the ranks. He he didn't quite enjoy it as much as we did. That's kind of an understatement. I, I, I listen. I, there's things I liked about it. I loved the swinging scenes through the buildings. I loved the uh, the new suit was pretty cool. It had some things I didn't like, like the Nike looking arms and feet, but I did like the. You know the overall look of the thing when it's flying. The colors were more accurate to the comic. I I loved Gwen Stacy. I thought she was fantastic. I thought the chemistry between the two was great. My biggest problem was I was told this was going to be closer to the comic, and it it kind of wasn't. Uh, <laughs> suddenly he's an emo kid. I don't understand. Uh, Peter Parker was never emo. Uh, his parents never invented the serum that caused him to be a spider. You know these kind of things, little little things that kind of started rubbing me funny. Uh, as I spoke off the air, there's the Sam Raimi kind of ripoffs. Uh, suddenly, the new villain talks to himself like the Green Goblin did in the first Spider-Man. Also, the the villain in this one kind of uses similar tactics to when Batman Begins came out and with the gas and everything. And I'm not spoiling it. I mean, you see that in the trailer. But my thing is, overall, um, there were pluses. There are also minuses. I, I get I got frustrated because you know Raimi loses his job, so a lesser filmmaker can make this movie, and I just felt frustrated by it because basically with a few superficial clicks, it was pretty much a rehash. And I'm tired of origin movies. I'm so burnt out on origins, and that I didn't really need to see another one ten years after the first time. And then then I got into the whole frustration of. Like Dennis Leary's character, the father of Gwen Stacy, just happens to be this guy, and I'm not going to ruin it for anyone. But he's a chief of police. You've seen him in the trailer, and and the thing is, things happen in the movie that he goes from hating Spider-Man to loving Spider-Man in a way that happens awful quick. There's a lot of things like that. It feels like I'm getting a half a movie when I watched it, and I I'm a little more. I was told it's so much deeper than. Toby Maguire's version, but in actuality, I felt it was the opposite. I felt like Toby Maguire's connection was a deeper one. Uh, I felt more in tune with him when he turned into Spider-Man, and uh, it just felt more natural. I mean, we we lived with him, we saw him climbing the walls, we learned all this stuff, and it, things in this movie seemed to just like touch on. It almost seemed like a watercolor version of a Mozart or a Mozart. I can't believe I just said Mozart do, 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 of a Monet <laughs> is what I was trying to say. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a watercolor version of a Monet. I mean, to me, a uh, Raimi did a great job. It, it, it didn't follow the comics perfectly, but neither did this one. So anyone complaining, Oh man, it didn't follow the comics. Well, you know what? Get off Raimi's back. Cause this one doesn't either. So we've never had a definitive Spider-Man movie. We may never, as long as Avi Arad and all the uh, suits with the thumbs in their butts at Sony keep calling the shots because apparently they don't read comics. That's just kind of well, where I'm at. I think that it it's so I think that the Raimi version was a lot more comic feeling where this one felt to me more towards um I don't know stylistically more towards um MTV a, Cribs Yeah or yeah it was it, I although I liked aspects about it I re, I actually liked the suit better in this one and I think Especially if you're updating the story, that's what a kid would come up for 
for an awesome suit. Um, and I have to say, I'm not somebody who's a huge um, IMAX 3D person, but because I saw the trailer in IMAX 3D, I saw the movie in it, and the movie really benefited from that. I thought it was a, a lot of fun to watch in IMAX 3D. My problem with, I like that they brought Flashback. I like that they went with Gwen. I had... A, my my problem was not that he was emo because I you know he's a high schooler and I felt like he was he felt more like a high schooler, but my problem was that at the end when spoiler um, his aunt May tells him that she knows he's good I'm like every decision he's made has been wrong I know the two decisions he made got somebody killed um, he's he only kind of started to fight crime out of guilt. So I had problems believing in the inherent goodness of the character. Can I ask you Other, something? Yeah. Was it me or did Aunt May seem like any second she's going to pick up an axe and take out neighbors? I mean, she was so <laughs> overwrought, dude. It was like, so, I missed that first, in the, in the first uh, trilogy, I really liked the actress that played Aunt May. She kind of embodied the character so well and looked just like the comic. I was like, and I love Sally Field as an actress, but I was like, wow, Aunt May's like, ah, she's going to take everybody out. <laughs> Well, and they they kind of highlighted that because I think it's actually to take out her classic bun and put her hair down made her look unhinged. Yeah. I, if they'd even just put the bun back in, she would have felt more like Aunt, she would have felt like she had something put together. But to me, it kind of highlighted how distraught she was. But you know, as far as the villain, you know, it's it's a comic book movie. I'm not going to complain. I love Reciphons, and I love that he's doing more than kind of the um, stoner rock star roles that he did. I just saw Anonymous on Netflix. Um, my Netflix rental and it was phenomenal and I thought he was really great with what they gave him to do as the villain in this one um, and I agree with you about the story story arc with Dennis Leary it happened really fast um, but I mean I'll buy Dennis Leary as a New York cop oh I would too he was great <laughs> he, like I yeah, said the performance was gonna go yeah if anybody was gonna like take you know sacrifice their their selves for uh, for New York in any way shape or form it'd be Dennis Leary I mean come on it's true but um but uh, I, I find it funny that you were saying he became an emo kid when that's exactly what Peter Parker did in Spider-Man 3. That's why yeah. I never liked that one, by the way. I, I disown it. No one with a brain great. liked Spider-Man 3. That movie was horrible. But once and again, I have to tell you, the the big finale of this one, the big fight scene, felt just like the fight scene with the Sandman. Just like really? it. It felt it I, I like didn't think a so. tower I and the whole either. thing. I, like, I I I thought it was more just you know it's your typical big bad knockdown drag out at the end of a of a comic. Watch book movie. the two again if you ever get around to watching three again. Just watch that fight scene Can't. because <laughs> I have to tell you, <laughs> Thomas Hayden no Church collection of that movie and the ending of that movie, and so I mean to compare the two if you compare Spider Man one of the Raimi trilogy and this Spider Man uh, that they're stylistically they have completely different visions and so you know it's really a matter of personal preference but when you go to like number three i don't think there's a spider-man fan who that's i don't think anyone's like spider-man 3 was my favorite no no spider-man <laughs> 2 um for a long time was uh you know x-men 2 and spider-man 2 for a very long time were my two top comic book movies i, loved I absolutely it, yeah. I love to. Alfred Molina was freaking amazing as Doc Ock, and uh, I and also th what I would take from this first the, the Raimi movies because Sam Raimi's movies always look like comic books to me. I mean, especially like, I, but my absolute 
comic book movie Sam Raimi did was Dark Man. Of course, yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous movie. But um, one thing that I would take from those films that was one of my favorite parts of it was William Defoe as the Green Goblin. That was stellar casting, and Defoe just owned that part. So I, I but I really enjoyed this. I, uh, I still I. I, I was just saying that I liked it better than Spider-Man 2, but I don't... I think it's... I, I Spider-Man 2 was just really good. And um, well, this was this was very enjoyable. I can see them going with uh, the next one they're going to do, because they've already know, they already said they're doing another one. Um, I can see them going somewhere really great with this. And Andrew Garfield surprised the hell out of me at how well he did it. At I least I that, thought he did a good job. It's it's going to be interesting to see how it develops because I'm willing to give it a little bit of a gimme as reestablishing it. I enjoyed it completely and utterly, um, but they're going to have to step it up with the villain because the motivation of the villain was as muddy as the motivation of the police chief and how it changed. Right? Well, and I, I think we, the the implication was his lizard brain took over. But I, the way they did that, I was was confusing to me. Yeah, you don't really you don't really know why, and that's kind of in the comics. I think he's supposedly a uh, sort of a, a, a sad character because he's both. You know, he's a he's a reluctant bad guy kind of character. But um, I I would love them to finally get around and have Michael Morbius show up. I think that would be effing amazing to have Mor- Morbius the Living Vampire finally get his due in a Marvel flick. And Spider-Man would be a great place for that to happen. They hinted at it with Blade 3, I think it was. Um, Blade 3, I think at the end, there was a cut scene where you see this figure standing in the background and that was supposed to be Morbius and uh, that never panned out. They went with the werewolf thing. Uh, but I would love for that to happen. This is a great place for this to go down. And also, they're really setting it up because I, I read an interview with the director, and they were saying how you know we're really going to go. Gwen and 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 uh, Peter have a really great relationship, helped by the fact that two of them are dating in real life. But um, in the comics, everyone knows Gwen Stacy dies. Oh yeah. So they can, uh, everyone absolutely loves her in this movie and it's great and they have all this great chemistry, but it's like, they're going to set us all up to really be devastated with, because Emma Stone is just amazing. I love her. She's, she's one of my she's favorite, amazing. favorite actresses right now. And um, I, when that happens, it's going to be just messed up. I have to interject something real quick while we're on the subject. Something really weird happened at this the screening I was at, they had a new three-minute Dark Knight Rises trailer, and Ooh. it just really hit, because at the end of that trailer, it was like insane. People were like standing up screaming. It was insane. And uh, the Spider-Man thing got a few claps at the end, but it, it, it shows a difference. I agree with Rachel. Entertaining popcorn movie, kind of summer fun kind of way, kind of in the same way that I love Drive Angry. I thought Drive Angry was fantastic. Yeah. But uh, 
it seems like when you talk about like the Dark Knight Rises, it's like on a different level it's of ho- filmmaking. Yeah, it's like we Macbeth. hold it to another. We hold it to another degree because it really is another level of it's filmmaking. like Shakespearean superheroes. Well, and there's yeah. a, there's a difference too with there's there's with my personal investment. I'm a Batman girl. I'm not really a Spider Man girl, so I'm not looking yeah. for a whole lot of the money. Yeah, well, duh. <laughs> and then um, the second part part is. Christopher Nolan. I mean, I, I think that he took a franchise that had been run into the ground multiple times and was able to just bring everything that I love to the table, the pathos and the humor. And to update a classic piece is no small feat. And he managed to even give it a little futuristic twist. And well, so he, he, I'm he, so stoked about the third one. I have a feeling he's going to make me cry. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, we're, I, I cried in the second one at the end. You, I grabbed your, I grabbed your arm and just bawled. And I, I went and saw, saw it with Rachel. And <laughs> at the end, oh my God, Heath Ledger, you bastard! I, I was like bawling, screaming, "You're not forever. You're gone." You know, and the guy cosplaying as the Joker, comforting her on the other side. It was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and the guy that was spot on Joker with the voice and everything awesome. is like, "It's okay." <laughs> like, no, it's not. He's gone. It's all I get. <sighs> but uh, it, it is a d- another level, and 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 um, we saw the trailer for the Dark Knight too. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't. The, the long one. God, I, you lucky ass. You got a three-minute new one. Um, but you can tell it's just... I It's funny how to figure it out. I, I, I think it's just one of those things where that universe is more adult and, and far more dark than anything Spider-Man has ever had. I mean, even, even with the death of Spider-Man stuff, which was just, you know, heart... You know, there's some sad sad things that happen in that comic but um the batman is just that's a whole other level of dark and and story and he's just done an amazing job with those and yeah we're probably all gonna cry when it's over so but yeah i i in the end i i really like spider-man i enjoyed it i think they have uh a chance to do something really great with that I think they do. They're just going to have to kind of. They have to up their story. Yeah, they have up, to. up the ante and get get a decent plot. I mean, the plot was just so superficial to me. I was ready for something really. I don't know. Le- less. I want to go less emo with the character a little bit. Go more with the comic book. I like the wisecracks. That's more like Spider Man was. He had a serious side, but he didn't like. I mean, not every Marvel character has to have a daddy complex. My God, man, they did it to Hulk too. What's going on here? <laughs> Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like, if you're a dad in a comic book movie anymore, you better just be ready to die. Because, <laughs> like, in every freaking one, the dad figure is dead. I, I told Rachel, I said, I guess Martin Sheen is now the Sean Bean of the Sheen clan because he dies in every movie he's in now. <laughs> he he really does. And, and uh, like, um, uh, the, the Departed... <laughs> dies in that does sorry spoiler <laughs> um but yeah so i uh i'm i'm ready for uh for i'm definitely ready for batman to hit um and also i'm excited because i you know this episode's kind of our lead up to our comic con stuff and uh i think we're going to get to see at least at comic con they're going to release some footage from uh, man of steel and i'm excited about that that looks good 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it's going to be good. Um, and uh, let's see. I think we're going to have, um, we're getting ready to have our uh, guests for the night to um, on. And Hello, this is Doug Jones. Hi, Doug. Yay. Hi, Hi Dougie. Yeah, oh, oh, we're going to have fun at Comic-Con, right? I know. I know. Yay. Hello. Mark, are you there? Yes, I am. All right. Well, Mark, um, I, Mark and Doug, I welcome you to Fangirl Radio. Thanks for joining us tonight. And uh, I wanted to introduce you both to Rachel and Todd. Todd and Rachel, Mark Zickery, Doug Jones. Hello. Hi. I, I got to meet Doug before. He's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I wanted uh, to really give you guys a chance to talk about the, this great project that is Space Command. It's, uh, I'm very excited about it. Everything I've seen is absolutely beautiful. And uh, I really like you know, Mark, I, what I know from you, from reading stu- reading things, uh, interviews with you, and and seeing the stuff about Space Command, you have a the love and uh, the same kind of sci-fi that I do, which is the stuff that tells a story, has heart, and actually has some meaning behind it. Yes, and, exactly. And uh, that's what you're wanting to do with Space Command, and and what what really ramped this up for you to 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 go gung ho and do this amazing project with Kickstarter. Well, you know, it's, uh, you know, ever since I was a kid, um, and, you know, I grew up on Star Trek and Outer Limits and Twilight Zone, those three shows, and, and when I was 13, I read The Making of Star Trek, which was re- really the first book I ever read on how a TV show was made, and I think that was really when I first decided that I wanted to become a showrunner, and, uh, and I loved working on shows like Star Trek The Next Generation and Sliders and uh, Babylon 5 and Deep Space Nine, because they were big um, canvases, you know, you could, you could tell a, a, a lot of stories uh, set within a certain science fiction framework and uh so that's always been of great interest to me and uh and so with ki- with the advent of kickstarter and digital cameras and editing on a mac and and just the internet and and what i did with world enough in time which was the star trek episode that george decan i did without a studio or network um i really realized that you could do something for a much lower budget <clears throat> but still maintain quality and you wouldn't need the studios or the networks to give you permission to do exactly you know what you wanted to do and so, <clears throat> so that was sort of the genesis of it. And then uh, Neil Johnson, <clears throat> who's a very talented uh, director, producer that I'm working with, he had been doing these low-budget, very high-quality science fiction films, high-quality in terms of production. And then Doug Drexler, my friend who's the effects uh, genius from all the, all the recent Star Trek series and Battlestar Galactica, you know, we were talking about how, how much we loved science fiction of the, of the 50s, the Heinlein, Asimov, Bradbury, Arthur C. Clarke, all those wonderful writers, uh, Ted Sturgeon, Robert Sheckley, and, and also things like Forbidden Planet and Space Patrol, the original Space Patrol, the live, live, uh, live TV one. And, uh, and it just seemed like a great, a great opportunity to do something that would be a big, big, big story where I could bring all my all these wonderful actors that I love and and all these other talented people together, um, these designers and effects guys, and just do something that would be great fun and also be uh, be the kind of story that we're not seeing on TV much lately. Yeah, well, and and that's the thing we're we're missing a lot of like good sci-fi, and and sadly, it seems like a, the problem with television right now is you'll have some good sci- science fiction series, but networks tend to can them without giving them a chance or try to to support them in the way they should be supported yeah yes i agree i mean their their objectives are different than ours that's that's one of the prob- problems i mean I, you know i i've never really i mean you know doltish uh ignorant 
uh, network and studio executives are actually rare. Most of the ones you met are well-read, well-educated, smart, enthusiastic. They want to do good programming, but they're working for big corporations, and the big corporations, the bottom line is the issue. And it's interesting. I was once talking with a, a, a vice president, a senior VP of, a, of an unnamed network uh, that, uh, that airs science fiction, and uh, uh, he was lamenting the fact that he had actually acquired a very, very high-quality science fiction film and had aired it. It was a terrific film, and, and he'd aired it, and it had gotten a low rating, and then some really crappy um, you know, movie he had aired got a better rating, and he said, I cannot justify spending more to acquire a high-quality film when it does less well than, than something that's just really you know, um, lowest common denominator. And, I, and how can you argue with that from their standpoint? You can't. But you can say, well, I'm going to take a different alternative to create the quality um, material that I want to create. So you, you can just op- open your own little store, essentially. That, yeah, that's great. That's the wonder of the internet right now. It's so awesome. It's allowing this stuff to go on. So, um, Doug, I wanted to ta- ask you, um, what made you want to be a part of this? Uh, and, and, and I know that you have the same feeling as, as I do and as Mark, which is quality and, and good story behind and a, a reason for the things that go on in the film or, or series. Um, what made you want to be a part of this? Well, you know, you're absolutely right. I, uh, I, I love story with a heart, and, uh, and if it's set in a sci-fi backdrop, even better. Um, and the, the, what, what made me interested in this particular project, Space Command, are two words, Mark Zakree. <laughs> I, 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 I met him a few times over the past couple of years, and, and we ended up getting together and having lunch one day and finding out a lot more about each other, and I just adore the man as well as the writer, and, uh, wow. and he is such a prolific writer, uh, and, he, and all of these wonderful stories, the reason he keeps working is because you know, he understands the world of sci-fi, he, ends with, he understands the fan of sci-fi, and he also understands the heart of storytelling, and he sent me home that day with a copy of his, uh, uh, of his Star Trek episode he was telling me about, uh, one that he made independently, um, uh, World Enough in Time. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, uh, now I'll tell you what, for whatever budget he did not have for that, it was amazing. And at the, by the end of it, because I got so enraptured in the story, I was in tears. So oh. for a Star Trek episode to bring tears to my eyes, I'm like, who is this man? Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so when he presented me with the idea of, of being a cast member or being a part of Space Command, uh, you know, it's like whatever he wants to put his fingers to. I'm like, yes, I'll, I want to be part of it. But he showed me, <laughs> he sent me a link to to some old clips of of the TV series from the 50s, and of course, it, it you know, it was just deliciously cheesy from back then. You know, the uh, the black and white, the you know, silver suits were zipped up the back, and the <laughs> spaceships being hung by a wire or whatever they did. But <laughs> yes, but but the story was was exciting, and for today, they were you know they were they were you know cutting a new a new path ahead of them. Uh, so, uh, uh, to take that world and update it, and and with the the the, the uh, artwork that he sent me, and the you know character descriptions, and all that, it's just like, oh, oh, oh this is now now I'm salivating wanting to do it. Yeah, yeah, great. That's great, Doug. Well, and it makes me excited when I see. Um the casting seeing so many great character actors and prolific actors involved but also that because you're doing something independent and I wanted you to address this a little bit Mark that you're able to um, cast whomever you want not even dependent on their experience but on being able to audition talent that studios would not consider because they're not a name 
Yes, that's right. I mean, I'm, you know, we're, we're bringing aboard a lot of my friends, uh, wonderful, talented actor, actors like Doug and, uh, and also Armin Shimmerman and Ethan Phillips and uh, Amber Benson and Bill Mooney and uh, just on and on. I mean, just so many great, wonderful actors that I've worked with and, and known for, for a long time. Uh, but also, you know, uh, one, one thing that happened when I made World Enough in Time uh, the Star Trek episode, you know, George Takei was the star of it, and he was quite wonderful playing Sulu. And uh, I had written a lead role uh, with my with my friend Michael Reeves of Sulu's daughter Alana. The basic plot was that Sulu gets marooned on an alien planet and raises a family, and it's uh, it's all in the wink of an eye. And then he and his daughter, who's only known basically him and the mother, appear on the Enterprise, and and it's it's an amazing story. And I actually cast for the lead um, female lead playing Sulu's daughter Alana, an actress who had been a lead on a on a science fiction show, uh, and we were building our production team. It took six months, and four weeks before we were about to shoot, shoot our episode, this actress said, um, I have to have surgery, and I can't do the role. And I, of course, just went white, but my wife said, uh, don't worry, we'll have auditions, and someone better will come in the door. And uh, so we held auditions, and an actress named Christina Moses, uh, Christina Moses, who had never done film or TV, she'd only done uh, New York Stage, uh, came in and she was the most amazing, brilliant actress I'd ever met. And we cast her in the lead opposite George Takei, and she was phenomenal. And actually, I've recast her uh, in the female lead in, in Space Command. She'll be playing, um, in this case, Armin Shimmerman's daughter, uh, Liana. And um, but but because of that experience, because this was someone who'd never done film and TV. And incidentally, there was a friend of mine who I was uh, once we did World Enough in Time. I was emailing a friend of mine saying, "You got to check this actress out. She's amazing." And finally, after two years, he checked her out uh, via the episode and, and said, you were two years ahead of us, you're absolutely right. And he put her on a talent deal, and that was J.J. Abrams. So, uh, <laughs> so, so, I, I, so I strongly believe there's an enormous talent pool out there of people who just need uh, a chance. And so we actually created something called the Talent Search, where two of our lead roles, Matt Kemmer, who's the captain of the Paladin, and uh, Cadet Bradbury, and I named that, of course, after my dear friend Ray Bradbury before his, uh, his recent passing. This was always in the plan. And uh, Cadet Bradbury could either be played by uh, a male or a female. We're actually opening open to both uh, genders to audition. And people anywhere in the world essentially can go on to our, our website, pull down the sides, shoot an audition, put it up on YouTube. And our backers, our Space Command backers, can, can watch um, all of the audition tapes and, um, and vote on who they like. And we're going to narrow it down to five people and then have a second round of auditions and, and see where, you know, where that brings us. But it's very, very exciting, very exciting. That's amazing, and I was I was actually going to ask about that because that I thought that was a great add to what you're doing with Kickstarter is having those open auditions. I, I've never seen anybody really do that with something like this, so I think that's a great idea. Yes, it's 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 very fun. I mean, well, it was sort of an exp- uh, a, a natural evolution from you know with Kickstarter. You know, the audience basically makes the production happen, makes it possible, and so I thought it'd be very fun to also extend it even further. You know, I mean, back when they were doing uh, Gone with the Wind, they had this grand talent search for Scarlett O'Hara. And, you know, and I think, I think there's validity there. And I think there's uh, something really fun about it. And, uh, and you know, for all of us, Space Command is, is a dream come true. And I think extending that dream to, you know, aspiring actors anywhere they might be, whether it's Keokuk or uh, Prague, you know, um, is, is fine. I think, that's, I think that's really exciting. That's great. So is there any chance of, of you giving us the backstory of what Doug's character is going to be? Sure, you bet, you bet. And Doug and I, it's funny because, you know, Doug and I really haven't had a chance yet to sit down and talk about this character in detail, so it's, 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 it's really fun. And, and, and yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm very excited to hear this myself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, 
Doug, what I'll do is I'm sending you. Ian McCaig just uh, just did his uh, an initial uh, angle, you know, a, a design for that character, and I will uh, email you that so you'll get to see what awesome. this character may may end up looking like. Awesome. I'll, I'll do that right now. Yeah. So um, so basically, um, you know, we have uh, basically Space Command deals with. Um, you know, when 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 I was when I was growing up, I was reading a lot of science. Even though I grew up in the '60s and '70s, I was reading a lot of science fiction re- written in the '50s. And Robert Heinlein and uh, Bradbury and all of these writers were essentially writing what was not acknowledged to be, but it was actually, in fact, a shared universe. It was a shared universe of expectations that we would go out into into space, colonize and terraform the worlds of our solar system, uh, and then head out into into the stars and meet alien races and, and so forth. So, so Space Command essentially follows two families the Kemmer family and the Sikander family as they're part of that great outward migration and exploration. And so, so the story essentially takes place over 200 years and um, through the viewpoint of these two families as sometimes they're allies, sometimes they're adversaries, the different members of these, of these families as we go through, through several generations. And um, some of the stories will be set far along that time frame and some of them will be closer to our time. And so some stories will take place just in our solar system. Some will be out in the stars. So the first, the first movie I've written, uh, we're starting minimally with four films and three shorter half-hour storylines. And I've, I've outlined most of these, and I've written most of the first movie. The first movie takes place farther along that time frame, and we're on the Starship Paladin. It's, it's, it's Commander Matt Kemmer and his crew, and there's a big adventure that we have uh, in that, with that storyline. And essentially, um, uh, Doug is going to play a character named Dorn Nevin. And Dornevin is what we refer to as the synthetic. He's an android, and uh, essentially these were built by humans, and ultimately they were our, you know, our, our handy little servants. And they rebelled, and they basically broke away from humanity, and they have their own world, and they do not associate with humans. But because of a threat that's going to basically engulf all of them, including us, um, uh, he has to come aboard the Paladin as part of the crew and has to try and help. And uh, he also has a very secret agenda that uh, he doesn't initially reveal that he's out there for another reason, all his own as well. But he's, uh, but he's initially uh, not fond of humans, but but comes to to care about some of the members of our crew. So so that's sort of where we're starting with him. And uh, and and as with all of our characters, uh, they're being designed by Ian McKay. Ian was the designer of Darth Maul and Queen Amidala, and recently he was designing. John Carter, and he's, he's worked on Harry Potter, and he designed the Hulk and those little creatures on sky sleds that were in the Avengers recently, so to have Ian work, and he's, he designed, Queen, um, he designed um, uh, Barbarian Sulu and Sulu's Daughter for World Enough in Time, and he's been my artist on, on Magic Time, a series of novels I've done, so, so Ian's an old friend, so, so the, some of the preliminaries, we were talking about Doug's, uh, Doug Jones's character today and talking about what he's going to look like, and it's, it's pretty remarkable. Oh, that's well, awesome. Well, that sounds exciting to me, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be fun. Because, you see what I'm saying? You see, I, I told you that Mark Zacchaeus is just full of delicious ideas, isn't he? It's gr- that, it's, it's just great. phenomenal. I, I'm, I'm just in awe of this, and the talent that is going into it, too, is just great. I want mm-hmm. this now. Can we I have know. this now? I know. <laughs> that, <laughs> I know. Does it make it easier to sit in that makeup chair for hours when you know... The the design that's gone into it, and oh, uh, well, from my end of things, absolutely. Hours uh, uh, in, in makeup uh, goes goes down a lot easier when you know that it's that you're a part of something beautiful and that you're going to become a creature that's uh, that's uh, you know got got such lovely backstory and and, a, and it plays an integral part of the the overall picture and yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. 
it's well, it's great. It's great fun, you know, because what you try, what you try and do when you create a science fiction show. Because I also, it was funny after World Enough in Time, Michael Reeves, my co-writer, who's an Emmy winner, he he won an Emmy for Batman the Animated Series, and then went on to he also wrote for Next Gen and tons of things. He's writing books with Neil Gaiman now and writing Star Wars novels. But he and I actually um, worked up a, an entire Captain Sulu series bible and outlined an entire two-hour movie. And again, took it to the networks, and it was kind of like they just it didn't fit their business plan, you know. And so, so again, it's so much fun to create. Anytime you create a science fiction show, you're trying to figure out, okay, what haven't I seen before? What's fresh? What's different? What draws upon our um, shared um, past in the genre, but we're also going to be fresh and exciting and new. And so, it's 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 those two things together. Interestingly enough, Dor Nevin, uh, who's not human will be the most spiritual of, of the characters, interestingly enough. He has and he's also stronger than humans, smarter than human, all that stuff, and knows it. So uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's a Nothing really wrong with that. Yeah. I, I can yeah, see yeah. deliciously snide Dougie going on here. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. So um but but I wanted to um I wanted to ask you, Mark, because you just I, I was telling uh everyone about your IMDB listing and just the literal giant mass of stuff that you've done and written and it's so varied and yeah. and and all of it's great <laughs> and and I just wanted to also say thank you for Forever Night because I absolutely love Forever Night and you did a great episode with that okay. um great. of that show. Um but what I, I know you've talked about Ray Bradbury and and how he influenced you growing up. Where what all kind of influences did came came to you for your writing? What what influenced you as a writer? Well, you know, basically, all of the great writers that I grew up reading. In I mean, I, I love, of course, Mark Twain and and and, and Dickens, and of course H. G. Wells too. But but the, but the, my main influences were the science fiction writers working in the fifties and sixties. So in television, it was um, Rod Serling and Richard Matheson, Charles Beaumont, George Clayton Johnson, Harlan Ellison. Uh, you know, Roddenberry, of course, uh, Gene Kuhn, who worked for who wrote for Star Trek as well. David Gerald, Dorothy Fontana. Um, uh, on and, and and in the literature, it was you know Ray Bradbury and all of the other greats of science fiction. And when I grew up, the first writer I ever saw in person was Ray Bradbury. He spoke at a library when I was 10. And I think that's the first time that I ever start, thought, thought that it, I might want to be a writer. You know, it was because he basically said, um, as a writer, your, your life and your work and your art ideally should all come from the same place. And, um, and so as soon as I was a teenager, I was seeking out these writers and, and becoming friends with them and seeking them out as mentors. So Ted Sturgeon, Theodore Sturgeon, was, was probably my first great mentor when I was around 19 years old. And, um, and then Ray, became, Ray Bradbury became a very dear friend over the last 15 years. Every month or so, I'd, be, I'd go over to his house, and we'd just sit and talk. And, uh, and it was a just wonderful experience. And in fact, there was a project that Ray and I wanted to do. Uh, it was, um, I, I, I'm a huge fan of the Martian Chronicles, and I learned that there were 20 Mars stories that were not in the Martian Chronicles but followed the same structure. And so I said to Ray, well, can I take these and develop them as an eight-hour miniseries? And he said, sure. So I outlined the eight hours, and then I um, attached my friend Michael Nankin, who was a director on Battlestar Galactica, and we went out about a year or two ago and pitched it, tried to sell it, and there were no takers. And I was astonished. I was astonished. They would say, and these executives would say things like, well, 
um, the Mars in these stories is not like the Mars we're seeing in the, from the Mars rover. And I, I would say, like, well, yeah, but, you know, Oz isn't really over the rainbow. That's not the point. <laughs> That's not the point. And, uh, and you know, and, and I think that was also where I started to think, well, you know, maybe there's a better route. Maybe there's another route. And, and actually, once we're done with Space Command, if, it, if the funding proves fruitful in terms of Kickstarter and those, those avenues, we, we, I'd be very interested in doing Mars that way, lost, Ray Bradbury's Lost Mars that way as, as well. I, I think it could be great. I think if you announce something like that, you will have two hundred grand within twenty four hours. <laughs> yeah. Hon- <laughs> honest to God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, well, well, with Space Command, what we're doing is basically we're building a production machine, and the idea is to be in continual production. We're already building spaceship sets and spacesuits, and generating effect shots, and doing you know character designs, and you know, even though our campaign with Kickstarter goes another week or two, you know, we're culminating at at Comic Con, you know. Um, we're, we're not waiting to start. I mean, we're already, and I've, as I say, I've written most of the first two-hour script. I've outlined the second one and the third one. I know what the fourth one's going to be. And then the half-hour vignettes, um, I've, I've outlined the first one. And I, you know, so we're, we're, we're moving ahead full, full force. Well, and I want to point out to the listeners that just because you've hit a goal mark doesn't mean that contributions won't still lead to extra things you yeah. can do and better product that you can make. And exactly. And so I... I want people to be aware of that because the more the more backing you get, the more your vision is going to be exactly what you see. Yes, yes, D- just so you bet. Well, I would almost want you to like create what they did with FearNet, which is a an, an entire horror network online. Is gosh, you, with the amount of talent and, and uh, imagination that you've got, you could make your own sci-fi network online. That'd be fun. That'd be very fun. And you know, and and so again, it's really. You know, seeing if if the fans will just you know um, provide us with the operating f- capital. I mean, we we don't need much. I mean, our our first target was was only only seventy five thousand dollars because that was enough for us to do this film. But now, as you say, the more money we get, the more we can do. You know, there's 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 the hard money costs of you know um, you know construction and you know <laughs> yeah. and compositing yeah. and all of that stuff. So um, you know, they they say that you can have you know it, it, there's 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 time, money, and quality pick two. You know, and so. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, the more money we have, I mean, we're not we're not sacrificing quality. That's that's a given. But the the more money we get, the faster we can make make the first one, and then move on to the second and third, and so forth. Well, I wanted to ask um, really quickly because I know we've we're getting ready to run out of time pretty soon. But I wanted to find out because you described how you've got four films and these half hour vignettes that you've created. How is the format going to work? Um, uh, how is that going to be broadcast? It's it's going to be available via DVD and Blu-ray and downloadable content. Those, those are the main delivery systems. If someone comes to us and wants to release them theatrically, we're certainly going to have a very serious con- conversation about that. But again, we're not um, waiting for that. You know, it's sort of like we're you know we're making these, and then it's just sort of like how we make them available to people. But for instance, if people go to spacecommandmovie.com, which is where our Kickstarter page you know is. Um, you know, they can already order their DVD or their Blu-ray, and, and with each DVD and Blu-ray, you get the downloadable content. So if you're in, you know, um, Serbia, you know, and you don't particularly want, uh, you know, a DVD mailed to you, you can you can have the downloadable as part of that deal. And, and there's all sorts of other perks, you know, um, watches and jackets and T-shirts and uh, books and you name it. I mean, we're we're really allowing, you know, we're we're providing a lot of really cool content. That's great. So, um, uh, how now and and. How is this going to be shown? Are you going to do the two-hour movie first and, and, and then have a half-hour um, kind of in-between story? Is that how that's going to go? When, the way when we're doing it, 
Yeah, the way we're doing it initially is the f we're going to be basically in production on the two-hour movie and the half-hour, what we're calling, vignette simultaneously. And the half-hour vignette starts early in the chronology, just when we're terraforming Mars, just when we're and, and we have the first iteration of the Paladin, and when it's a spaceship, it isn't faster than light yet. But the movie takes place uh, several generations down, further down, and by then we're we're several generations further down in the in the in the family, in the camera family, and also with this, with the iteration of the space of the starship. It's now a starship, and so we're going to be. Well, Heinlein laid out something he called the future history, and he did stories all along that timeline. And although we're not taking any of the specifics from the stories that Heinlein did, that idea was very appealing to me. And so so basically, we'll be doing stories set all along that time frame, and it'll become in the aggregate a tapestry that tells you the large canvas, the large story. Gotcha. That sounds amazing. Um, so I, I have to ask, because you used to do, you, you have written so many um, cartoons. What, yeah. was your, what was your favorite cartoon to write for? Because I, I was looking through the list, and it's just amazing how much you've done. But yeah. I've got to ask, which, which is your favorite? Well, you know, I started in animation. That's how I learned my craft as a TV writer. And uh, so I was writing cartoons when I was like 22, 23 years old. Uh, Real Ghostbusters, I think, was my favorite because uh, I wrote four of those and I, could, I was allowed a lot of um, social satire, which was very fun. And we were just writing it to entertain ourselves. But I really, I liked Smurfs. I liked, you know, I mean, a lot of the shows I wrote for, The Littles, I mean, you know, they were fun. They were just very fun. And, uh, you know, I never, I never... Um, felt that I was slumming. I was always trying to entertain myself in, in writing these things, and I, th I knew that by entertaining myself, I would be entertaining the audience, and, and uh, that seemed to work out really well. That's great. Um, and uh, the real Ghostbusters is one of my favorites, too. I really enjoyed it. So, um, Dougie, uh, what, uh, what, what all do you have going on? Um, um, you're going to be doing this, of course, but I just wanted to give you a chance, too, to, to tell us what you're in and upcoming. I know that you are... You, you get beat in the head and shoulders a lot in a movie called Neighborhood Watch that's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. You will watch me get completely pulverized uh, in uh, The Watch with Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn, and Jonah Hill uh, coming to theaters July 27th. Uh, I play the lead alien that is attacking their neighborhood. And, uh, and it's up to them to fight off these aliens from outer space uh, because no one believes that, they're, that we're really here. So... Um, uh, yeah, and those guys are so much funny to a script. Oh my gosh! Uh, and uh, uh, so it's it's sort of like you mentioned Ghostbusters. It's kind of a film that, that feels very Ghostbustery. Um, it's got it's comedy meets sci-fi. So they bring the funny, and I bring the scary. <laughs> and there's slime. Uh, and there's slime in it too. <laughs> and I oh, there's and there's slime. Yes, I, I'm a gooey. <laughs> I'm a gooey, slithery being. Uh, yeah, if you see the trailers that are out there now, you'll, you'll see glimpses of me in those. Uh, so July 27th will be the day you'll see all of me in all my alien glory. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, also, um, as I did a TV pilot with Jamie Gertz called The Neighbors, and that is uh, airing on ABC. The ABC did pick up the show. Um, I understand I was just a guest star in the pilot, but with you know potential to recur. Um, Jamie Gertz and her and her husband and kids have been plopped into a a neighborhood in New Jersey somewhere, and they, what they don't know is that it's entirely inhabited by aliens from outer space that are posing as human beings. So <laughs> all of their neighbors are like these odd people. So uh, anyway, so that starts uh, Wednesday nights in September, right after Modern Family, and I'll be in that very first episode as one of those kooky uh, alien neighbors. Um, I see a theme here, Doug. I know it's it. <laughs> I, the, 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 I know, right? The, 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 
<laughs> you know what and, it is? Because uh, you did some what? films where we actually got to see your face. <laughs> My name is Jerry and some other things. And so now you're going to be yeah. coming time for like two years. <laughs> well, yeah. Although, although in in the, the neighbors with uh, that TV show, uh, I, I'm I'm I look like a human. I'm, I look like me, uh, but they, they they cast me because I'm an odd looking human. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> but uh, I I also um, uh, John dies at the end. I just got some great news that they got theatrical distribution for that. Uh, oh, so, goody. so so you'll be able to see that in movie theaters. And I don't know. I don't have dates yet. But Don Coscarelli sent me a very excited email uh, about a, you know a couple weeks ago, and um, so uh, I play Roger North in that, and uh, it's been met with great success at uh, South by Southwest and Sundance, and uh, the critics are raving about it so far. So that's good news. And right now. You caught me today. I pulled off the side of the road to make this phone call to you guys. I'm on my way up to uh, Paso Robles, California, to continue filming uh, a current feature film I'm doing with, with Sherilyn Fenn, of all people, from Twin Peaks. Um, she plays my wife. Get me right, right? Wow, That's what I'm saying. Dougie. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I told her when I met her on set that our first day, I said, honey, you could have done so much better. <laughs> but... We're we're uh, the two of us are are uh, playing the evil characters in this movie called Raze, R A Z E, and it stars Zoe Bell and Rachel Nichols and Tracy Toms and a whole litany of beautiful young women, who, um, my secret society of elite people, uh, we kidnap these women and make them fight each other to the death. Uh, it's sort of like a cult, religious almost ceremony that we do. Uh, every five years, and and it's this, uh, it's a very twisted tale, and it's very violent, but it's got so many great people in it that I couldn't say no. And, uh, and of course, I get to play the uh, the one who's in charge of this entire horrific outfit. So, um, so we'll uh, we'll see how that story plays out. But uh, but Zoe Bell, uh, the lead, uh, I worked with her before in Angel of Death, that uh, mm-hmm. web series turned into a TV movie of the week that turned into a DVD that's been very successful. So um, she's uh, she is like the world's best female action star like ever. She's amazing. <laughs> you know her from the Kill, the Kill Bill movies. She was in the Thurman Stunt Double. Uh, you know her from Death Proof, the Grindhouse segment that um, Quentin Tarantino directed. Uh, she was the girl that did that hood of the car stunt that was just magnanimous. So... Uh, yeah. So yeah, so she's uh, she's at the helm of this one. She's she's the uh, she's producing and also starring in this, and, and it's being directed by Josh Waller, and uh, and it's just a, a great fun piece. I'm on my last week of that now, and uh, and I'll, after that I'll let my hair grow out again. Then I'm all buzzed cut for it. Oh, <laughs> we love your locks. I know, but, but my head, but, but it makes my head very pettable. So if you see me in, in at Comic Con, you guys, you have to cut my head. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to lean down, though. You're very tall. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and, and you know, speaking of and speaking of Comic Con, of course, uh, uh, Mark uh, uh, arranged for us to have a uh, panel for Space Command on That's Friday right. night. Right, yes, Friday night be, uh, at eight thirty, I believe. That's right. In room five A and B, and we're going to be unveiling a new trailer with new effect shots, and we're going to be having the, we're going to have Ian McKaig showing the character designs, magnificent color art- artwork that we're going to be revealing for the first time at Comic Con. It's me, and we're also doing a number of signings, uh, which we'll be announcing and and at, at Comic Con, and have a big countdown party for Kickstarter because uh, our Kickstarter campaign ends that Saturday night at Comic Con. So it's going to be so. There's many many wonderful things coming down the pike, but definitely come to the panel if you're a Comic Con. Definitely come to that panel. It's going to be really really remarkable. And Doug will be on. On the panel as well as many of our other Space Command team. Yes, yes. 
Awesome. And uh, like we said, 8.30 Friday night and yep. at Comic-Con, and um, it's going to be amazing. And I'm really excited about this. You've, uh, you guys are doing something really special, and I love fact that you've updated the look of that old style flash gordon um sci-fi art and you've got yeah. it, it it you're homaging all of that but you've updated it and it looks absolutely beautiful the look of this thing is gorgeous thanks mm-hmm. thanks well we have we have just some incredibly brilliant artists i mean this is really you know the the a-list of guys i mean it's 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 wonderful that that when you just have the right heart and the right vision that people come aboard so i mean normally you wouldn't be able to get these people if it, if it was below you know 30 yeah. 40 50 million dollars but but thank you doug jones and thank you you know everybody i mean i'm just so grateful every day is, is like my birthday it's a, it's a labor of love quite ob- obviously mm-hmm. and i want people to go to spacecommandmovie.com or you can search th- through for it on kickstarter and take a look at what's going on and see if see if you're able to contribute because it's going to be awesome guys yes it is and we're actually going to be uh posting stuff all over fangirlmag.com about this and um we'll hopefully get some art facebook we're going to um have some artwork uh hopefully here a little bit from the archives as well and we'll be posting whatever we can um to share this because Trust me, you um, to all the listeners out there, you really want to look at this and be a part of it and donate. It's going to be something amazing. These guys are brilliant, and they're they're giving us a gift in this. So help it out. Thanks so much. And thank you guys for coming on, Mark yes. and Doug. Thank you so much. <laughs> this is great. Oh, well, Jessica, Rachel, Todd, and Mark, thank you for including me in this discussion. This has been great fun. Oh, thanks, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for taking part, Doug. Really appreciate it. Aww. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, thank you guys again. And, um, and me too. And, you, know, th- <laughs> and, you know what? We'll have you guys back on um, once the first one airs. We'd love to have you back. We'd love that. You bet. Absolutely. It's a date. See, I totally didn't squee and fangirl all over Doug. I was, I was a good girl. That was a good girl. Well, Even though I was a mime in high school, and so he is like, my God. <laughs> Dougie is the man, and Mark is great. To send too. you some art with him next week. He, the, these guys are great, and we, um, we are very happy to have had them on the show. And like we said, go on and donate to this; it's going to be so worth it. And you know that the whole thing about the Sci-Fi Network online that could happen. And think about what we could bring back with that. Holy crap! If this, if, if anybody could do it, it's these guys. So. Donate to the cause and get some good sci-fi back on the air because God knows we need it. Um, <laughs> but with that, I want to thank everybody for um, joining us tonight. I hope you enjoyed the discussion with Mark and Dougie. And uh, I want to thank Rachel and Todd for uh, joining me again. Yay. Yay. And this is our um, Comic-Con countdown. Uh, we will have another special guest on next week's show. I will be at Comic-Con, but we will have an episode on Thursday where we will have with us another great in the world of Star Trek, Peter David is going to join us and i am really excited about that so yay so is todd apparently (laughs) so with that i want to thank you all for joining us and be sure to tune in next week and um i will be back hopefully if i make it through comic-con alive uh i will be back to join you so thanks again it's been fangirl radio signing off